Well, Sunday mornings, Book of Revelation, Ultimate Realities, and we're nearing the end of our series. Now, what did you make of the reading? We looked at chapter 22, verses 6 to the end of the chapter. Did it feel a bit bitty? You know, it's like there's a few loose ends with some memorable sayings thrown in. Well, think of a piece of music. And on hearing that piece of music for the first time, you, you can't quite pick out the tune. And yet there are two or three repeated notes which seem to, to burrow into your consciousness. We talk about earworms, don't we? Two or three earworms that seem to be burrowing in, and you just, you just can't get the, those notes out of your head. Well, that's chapter 22, verses 6 to 21. So what are these repeated notes? What are these earworms? Well, before we answer that, let's remind ourselves of why we're in the book of Revelation. Why are we looking at these ultimate realities? And if you remember, the Bible divides world history into two ages. It speaks of this present age. This present age characterized by sin, sorrow, suffering, Satan. It's the age of decay, darkness, despair, death. It's what Paul calls this present evil age. John describes it, he says, it lies under the power of the evil one. This present age. And then there's the age to come. The age where God reigns, where heaven and earth are joined together so his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's the age that's characterized by light and liberty and life and love. And best of all, God with us. So this is the Bible. There are two ages. This present age, and there's the age to come. But, says the Bible, the ages actually overlap. The age to come arrives before this present evil age has passed. Because in Jesus Christ, God's reign, God's kingdom, the age to come, breaks in now. And of course, at the cross, Jesus will face the full powers of the old age. And he'll defeat them. And when he rises from the dead, it really is the, the, marks the great turning point. Because the kingdom of God is invading this world. So the new age begins, the life of the new age begins before this present age has passed. The two ages overlap. The new age has been inaugurated, but it's not yet being consummated. We thought of its consummation the last two Sundays, haven't we, as we've looked at, at uh, those final chapters in Revelation. It's what some theologians call the already, but not yet. Which means as God's people, those who have entered the kingdom of God, those in whom already is the life of the age to come, size in our Bibles that is translated as eternal life. It's, it's saying it's the life of the age to come. We already have in us the life of the age to come. We are therefore to live in this world by the realities of the world to come. Hence a series on ultimate realities. We're to live now the life of the new age. And that also means, therefore, abandoning the values of the old age. 
No half measures. It's all or nothing. Which means we must, we must therefore see things as they really are. We don't see things as they really are. We'll be molded and shaped by this present evil age. Hence a series on ultimate realities. So, for example, you, you fly from Australia to the UK. How many time zones do you pass through? When you arrive at Heathrow, it's nine in the morning. Your body, though, is telling you it's the middle of the night. So what do you do? Do you stay on the plane? Say, well, it's the middle of the night for me. I'm going I'm to sleep, sleep a bit longer on the plane. No, you, you get off because you've arrived in the UK and it's morning already. So you get off and step out into the new day. And here in the book of Revelation, God's Spirit is saying, wake up. It's not the middle of the night. You've arrived at a new time zone. The age to come is now. It's arrived. It's here. It's already the new day. So step out into the sunshine. Ultimate realities. So do you know those, those words in Revelation 22 make more sense? Maybe, maybe not. Well, two points. Two points this morning. Point number one. These words. So what's the earworm? What are those repeated notes that the Spirit doesn't want you to forget? He wants them to worm their way into your consciousness so that you never, ever, ever forget them. What are they? It's these words. Look at verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 7. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 9. And with those who keep the words of this book. Verse 10. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Verse 16. I, um, I have sent, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, okay, speaking, testifying about these things for the churches. Verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone, anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things. So what's the earworm? What's the repeated phrase over and over again? It's these words, these, the words of this book. Words that are trustworthy and true. Words that are never to be forgotten. Words that must never be tampered with. Because your very lives depend upon them. These words. Who are they spoken by? Verse 6, spoken by the Lord God. Verse 16, spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the voice of the one true God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here is the voice of the bridegroom to his bride. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So, Christian friend, what it's saying to you again and again and again is these words, these words, these words. Never, ever, ever, ever forget these words. 
So what have we been told? Well, do you remember? Chapter 1, we talked about the fear of the Lord. You will see nothing. Eternal realities will not dawn upon you unless you fear the Lord, unless you bow the knee to the King. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we are to live between the paws of the great lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. These words are trustworthy and true. And then we look to chapter 4. The deepest reality of all. The throne of God. And we're shown the madness of idolatry and the wonders of the king. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. These words are trustworthy and true. And then chapter 5, the king has a plan. It's a detailed plan. It's a plan to put everything right. Who's in charge of the plan? The one who alone is worthy. Chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What's the plan? It's to save a people. It's to make an end of sin and the curse is to destroy all wickedness and the dark forces which are at work in this age. It's to put death to death. It's to make all things new. It's at last to unite heaven and earth so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, the great, the great promise that was made in the Old Testament. And that plan is in the nail-pierced hands of the one who alone is worthy the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And these words are trustworthy and true. But chapter 12, this world is under the sway of the evil one. Yes, he was defeated at the cross. That was a decisive battle. He's been in retreat ever since. God's kingdom is invading his realm, but he won't go down without a fight. And the serpent has evolved into this monstrous dragon, this great T-Rex figure who's stamping across the world stage, raging against God, raging against God's people. And it's total war. But we're on the victory side. Chapter 12, verse 17, Then the dragon became furious with the woman, with the church, and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, individual believers, and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who hold to the testimony, hold on to these words. It's war, but God says, don't give up, don't change sides, don't turn back, whatever the cost, though it costs you your very life. Don't become cannon fodder in Satan's failed assault. Don't live for this passing world, this passing age, only to find out too late that all that blood, sweat and tears that you invested in this present age has come to nothing. Don't destroy yourself. Don't exchange the truth of God for the lie. These words are trustworthy and true. 
because chapter 16, we thought about the wrath to come. Those seven plagues, infinite, overwhelming, wrath to the uttermost. Through the long years of man's rebellion, God has been holding back his anger, not willing that any should perish. The long years of sin upon sin, wickedness beyond weight, beyond measure, beyond telling. All committed in the long suffering of God. It's like the water rising behind the wall of a great dam. But the day is coming when it will fill to the very top, filling up the measure of sins. And God will therefore break that wall, unleashing this great deluge of his wrath. The day when God says enough, not because he, he rages, but because he says justice must be done. And it's his final cosmic, cataclysmic, climactic seventh plague. And creatures who once bore the image of God Creatures who were once men and women living in this world. Now buried beneath an avalanche of God's anger from which there's no escape. Chapter 16 verse 21. And great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. As Moses says, who knows the power of your anger? Who stops to think about the wrath of God. These words are trustworthy and true. So chapter 18, don't fall for this seductive embrace of this world. Don't get into bed with Babylon. Don't drink from her cup. Don't get drunk with her. Don't become intoxicated with all that she offers you. On the contrary, chapter 18, verse 4, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. These words are trustworthy and true. And therefore, chapter 19, don't lose heart however things appear. Because we're the bride of Christ. And we may be surrounded by a hostile world. and We may be assaulted by the devil. And yes, living for Christ, life may be hard and the warfare long. But our beloved says, hold on. I'm coming. Coming for my bride. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And when he's defeated all his and our enemies, he will sweep his bride off her feet, just as he said he he would. The two lovers at last united, and together they return to the Father's house for the wedding feast. These words are trustworthy and true. And then the future, we looked at the future, didn't we? And what a future, a glorified church, a new Eden, this garden city, the centerpiece of God's renewed universe. And what will it be like to live in God's new world, to see the real trees, the real rivers, the real mountains, the way it was always meant to be, the real lions. In God's new world, with new horizons to explore, 
with resurrection bodies and unsinning hearts and the fullness of the Spirit himself. To be children at home at last in the Father's house. The Father relaxing with his children. All my children are here. They're all home. And to be the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ that every cell of our redeemed bodies will ignite with the wonder and the joy that it's him. We shall see his face. We shall take our place at his side upon his throne to rule over the works of God's hands. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. These words are faithful and true. Brothers and sisters, these words, these words, these words, are you building your life upon these ultimate realities? Because there's only two kingdoms. There's Satan's kingdom and there's God's kingdom. And there's only two peoples. There are unbelievers and there are believers. And there are only two loyalties. I either say Caesar is Lord or whatever that looks like today, or I say Jesus is Lord. And there are only two cities. There's Babylon or there's the New Jerusalem. And there's only two women. There's the prostitute or there's the virgin bride. And there's only two destinations. There's the lake of fire or the New Eden. These words are trustworthy and true. That's why in verses 18 and 19, we're told, don't tamper with them. Whatever you do, don't tamper with them. Don't argue with them. Don't start trimming them or adding to them. Because you'll lose everything. Verse 7, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Where is blessing to be found? In those who keep these words. The words. It's like one of those old films, isn't it? Where's the treasure buried? And the only one who knows is dying. And so you put your, your ear to his lips to hear his final words. Here's John, the old man. And he's telling you where the treasure is hidden. These words are trustworthy and true. So you know where the treasure is buried. So point number two. Do you believe it? I'm going to move very quickly through verses 6 to 16. Do you believe these words are trustworthy and true? Is the book of Revelation for fanatics and heretics and fantasists? What do you think? Well, verse 6, we're told, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So on the heels of these words come the things of which these words speak says the God who does not lie. Do you believe it? Verse 7, 
And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. If we're the bride of Christ, what does the bride long to hear? She longs to hear the voice of her bridegroom. What does she want to hear from the bridegroom? She, she wants him to say, our days of separation will soon be over. We'll soon be together. So he says, keep these words as the pledge of your love for me. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Because you see, living in this present evil age, in this old body, because I've still got the old body, the flesh does kick back. And the world so often is attractive. It seduces and it bullies me. And Satan knows exactly how to get me. He knows where to tempt me. And he threatens me. But says Jesus, you keep these words. Because your very life depends upon it. So as though Jesus is saying, throw yourself into the arms of these words. Throw yourself. Abandon everything into the words, into the arms of these words. Love me first. Love me best. Love me always. Though it cost you everything, though it cost you even your life, says Jesus, stand firm. Fight the holy war. Identify with the crucified one. Bear his reproach. And soon the wedding day. And on that day it will have all been worth it. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Do you believe it? Verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you mustn't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Why would John worship an angel? Well, several suggestions come to mind, but maybe the sight of one angel clothed with heavenly glory is just too much for mortality. But if John who saw heaven opened can be tempted to worship the creature rather than the creator, then no one is safe. We're all idolaters. Do you believe that? Worship God. It's not safe to skip Sunday, to skip communion, to skip the prayer meeting, to skip church family life. It's not safe. Because before you know it, the ultimate realities will be mellowed by the distance. Because you've moved away from these things. Mellowed by the distance. The sharpness will go. The clarity will go. Mellowed. In fact, they'll fade into the distance. And before you know it, you'll end up worshipping as God what is not God. And you'll be back in the seductive arms of Babylon. Do you believe that? Verse 10. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. He says, keep the book open. These words are needed now. Those seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, to whom those words first came, they're facing a terrible persecution. They're being told what's happened to the believers in Rome under Nero will soon be coming to them. How precious then these words will be. 
because many of those believers will seal their testimony with their own blood. But not just them. Every generation of God's people faced the seductions of Babylon, faced the persecution of this present evil age. The persecution of the church is a fact of history. And it will be to the end of the age, as we've seen. So don't close the book. These words are needed now. Do you believe that? Verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. What does that mean? Is the Lord encouraging people to carry on sinning? No. But he is saying that if hearing these words, you turn away from these words... If hearing the voice of the Son of God, you turn away from the Son of God and you live as though there was no Jesus, no cross, no resurrection, no coronation, no worthy as the Lamb, no Lord of lords and King of kings, no judgment, no holy city, no lake of fire. If you don't believe these words are trustworthy and true, then you will lose everything. What you do with these words follows you into eternity. Do you believe that? See, it's in that word, let. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. You know the great invitation, Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Says the Lord to, to, to all, he says, come, come, come as a sinner to Jesus. Fall upon those kind arms. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let him return to the Lord. Stop going in one direction, turn around and come to the Lord. That's repentance. And if you do, you turn to our God, he will abundantly pardon. But if I say, no, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not come back to God. Then choices have consequences. There's a sense in which God says here in chapter 22, verse 11, okay, have it your own way. That's the path you want to go. God will close the door behind you. He'll close you in to the way that you have chosen. It's a terrible thought, isn't it? God will allow you to explore the consequences of your choices. And there's therefore a sense in which people actually choose to go to hell. It's the path they've chosen. What you do with these words will follow you into eternity. Which, of course, is why every sinner who does come to Jesus, who does fall upon those kind arms, God does abundantly pardon. Oh, the comfort of the gospel, that God forgives sinners, great sinners, every sinner who comes. No condemnation, no death sentence. And with a new record in heaven, it means a new heart on earth. A heart that beats for him 
A life that lives in a certain way, that lives by the realities, the ultimate realities of the age to come. And that's why it says, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. If you want this age, well, you go that way. But if you come to Christ and you live by the new age, the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Do you believe it? Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense, my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. You see, as you go through this, well, there's a little voice, isn't it? On your shoulder, whispering away, saying, why, why make life difficult for yourself following Jesus? Why be too full on for Christ? Why not trim it a bit? Why not just step back every now and again? Why, why spend and be spent for a Jesus you've never seen? Why set your heart on a city you've never touched? That little voice, I think the, the, most, the most subtle voice, the most dangerous voice, which appears to be so not dangerous, is the little voice which says, you deserve better. You deserve better. When you hear that voice, you deserve better, it's satanic. You deserve better. But what could be better than hearing from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. Do you believe that? If I believe it, there's never been a better time to live for Jesus Christ without restraints, without regrets. You ever tried swimming with one foot on the bottom of the pool? <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? You can't swim with one foot on the bottom of the pool. Have you ever tried living for Christ, as it were, with one foot on the bottom, one foot in this, uh, in this age? Have you ever tried half living for Jesus? Can't be done, can it? So live for him now. Live for me now, says Jesus. All out for Jesus. Behold, I'm coming soon. Bring in my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Do you believe that? Do you believe these words are trustworthy and true? Because you can't see them, can you? They're promises. Building your life on, on, the, God, on the word of the God who never lies. Look at verse 13. And the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Is there anything between the beginning and the end, if I can put it like that? You see, the only alternative to living for Jesus is to live the lie. Satan's kingdom is counterfeit because it tries to live outside the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. It tries to live outside that. Which is always why, which is why it's doomed. Because it can't live outside, can it? What is there to live outside? And that's why if I give myself and I throw my lot in with this present evil age, with Satan's kingdom, it's why the future will be forever outside. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. And then read this. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
You see, if you reject ultimate realities, it's because you believe the lie. You've embraced the falsehoods. To reject his word is to believe the falsehood. It's to say, I take my place outside the realities. And therefore to be outside forever. To choose a life that ends on God's rubbish heap. Chapter 21 says, but for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Because I said God's word wasn't true. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Why? Why would I do that? Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. They may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Do you see, it's not just loose words kind of thrown together. It's a repeated drumbeat saying again and again, trustworthy and true, trustworthy and true. Build your life upon these words. Never walk away from them. Never tamper with them. Never trim them. These words, these words, these words. So brothers and sisters, never ever walk away. You know, I know, people who have sat here under the preaching who've made a confession of Christ, who've been baptized, who've named the name of Jesus, who have witnessed, who've even preached, have walked away. Never ever walk away. And if you're backsliding in your heart, you know it. Nobody else knows it, but God knows it. Time to turn around and come back. And if you've never come to Christ, He says, come. Wash those dirty robes in the blood of the Lamb. And you'll be clean, you'll be welcomed, you'll be pardoned, you'll be embraced. In fact, I'll run to meet you, says God. The gospel's so appealing, isn't it? So simple. It's not asking me to perform gymnastics in my head. It says a simple question. Are you a sinner? Yes. Are you a filthy sinner? Yes. Well, who says filthy sinners? Jesus Christ. Well, come to Jesus Christ and he'll save you. I'm a filthy sinner, Lord. But Jesus shed his blood to make the unclean clean. And if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he's more than willing. That's why he's given the invitation to you to come to Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And then finally, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. This is Jesus speaking. About these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. I'm David's Lord and David's son the bright morning star. The bright morning star is the planet Venus. It's the brightest star in the sky. It appears early morning. It's like a lantern in the morning sky. It's, it, it's bright. 
And actually, in, in, the dawn, is it, in the dawn, it dazzles. And what does it do? It heralds the coming of the new day. It heralds the coming of the new day. So, brothers and sisters, are you going to keep these words, these words that are trustworthy and true? Are you going to live by them? All for Jesus. No. When the bright morning star has already appeared, and soon therefore the sun will rise on that eternal day, not far away it's only a few more days only a few more breaths and then glory beckons there's never been a better time to live for Jesus the bright morning star behold I'm coming soon blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know that left to ourselves, we cannot keep these words. We cannot do it. We cannot live the life that you call us to, not in ourselves. But we thank you for the helper. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would pour out your spirit into our hearts, into our church, into our gathering even now. And you'd seal these words into our hearts. You'd make these earworms such that we might never, ever forget them. That never might these truths be mellowed, as it were, by the distance. But indeed they might become louder and stronger and more forceful and more inviting and more sweet and blessed to our ears as the great day approaches, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.